Good morning, folks. Today is January 30th. It is a Monday. Coming in hot. Oh, boy, are we coming in hot. Welcome to episode number 292 of Simply Cyber's Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm your host, Dr. Gerald Dozier. And over the next 45 minutes, me, you, Kimberly Can Fix It, Tom Bishop, Matthew Necci, Shane Prevost, Joel Bell, and Andrew Nakamura, and the rest of chat, including Kenneth Ruff, I see you over there in the UK, are going to be tearing through the top cybersecurity news stories of the day, and I'll be providing my opinion and my analysis, and uh, hopefully this coffee kickstarts my brain into high gear, and uh, we'll be off and running. But before we dig into the show, before we rip into the top cyber stories of the day and get reset for the week coming... Let me say thank you and uh, shout out to the stream sponsor, starting with my good friend Eric Taylor and the crew over at Barricade Cyber Solutions. Barricade Cyber Solutions is dedicated to helping businesses from cyber attacks and recover from the damage done. Cyber attacks can cause massive issues for businesses and send dedicated, hardworking business owners and staff like us into turmoil. But Barricade Cyber Solutions knows how to mitigate the damage done by cyber incidents. Check them out at barricadecyber.com. Links in the description below. We are looking at them live on stream right now, as I intend to do. You can see, pretty straightforward site. The best part is, you know, your business is under attack. That's what this says. If your business is under attack, you can get instant relief. Instant relief. Like, Eric Taylor's a human version of an antacid pill. If, 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 uh, you know, tummy acid was a cyber attack, like there is a close parallel here. Believe that you can get on his schedule at 1015 this morning. If you really need to talk to him, my advice, don't wait till your business is under attack, simulate your business is under attack and then call Eric Taylor, have a conversation. No big deal. It's definitely nice to have a fire department on speed dial in case your business catches fire. Also want to say shout out and thanks to our good friends, recon infosec in their MDR service. And if you're in need of a service that provides your organization with 24-7 managed detection response or MDR service, many of you in chat I know have an MDR service um, that you contract with. I have done evaluations for MDR. I have rolled on NDR. Um, it makes a difference who you go with, okay? Recon InfoSec has a sick offering. James McQuiggan, my man. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. Uh, I love me some James McQuiggan. Great guy, practitioner, good times. If you see James at a conference, be sure to say what's up to him. He's, he's a good time. Hell of a chess player too, I might add. Now, Recon InfoSec's transparent MDR offering includes the people, the process, the technology, the full stack needed to deliver security operations to organizations of any size, including your size, basically, because it's any size, okay? It's a wild card value in a regex if you're picking up what I'm putting down. Recon InfoSec provides direct access to their entire team as well, so the analysts, engineers, architects, and they give you access to their SIM and SOAR if you want to do it. Most people hire an MDR so they can be hands-off and actually focus on other business problems. But say you're into tech. Say you're into rolling up your sleeves. They got you. That's an option. You can do that, okay? Unlike many of the big commodity MDR providers, Recon InfoSec actually is a security-first 
company run by security people. So it's it's all security. A lot of SANS educated people, SANS instructors over there. Give Recon InfoSec a shot. If you're considering MDR, they should be on your short list of vendors. That's all I'll say, okay? Now, I want to remind everybody, and this is a hot... Hold on. What are you doing? You calm down, CISO series. Listen, there is a, some hot debate right now. Um, there is some hot, hot debate here on whether or not the, each episode of the Daily Cyber Threat Briefing is worth half a CPE. I am trying to get to the bottom of this. Uh, if you look at the ISC squared ISACA policies, it would it would uh, tend to make sense. But I have had some people reach out and say, oh, like they say YouTube doesn't count. T to me, there's a difference between what we're doing here and what um, a YouTube video on how to break into cybersecurity in 2023 is. But alas, we may have to, I may have to introduce, and if anyone has an idea on this, let me know. We may have to introduce some type of like, um, like registration where it would, I would make it optional. So you could, you could register for the daily briefing and then show up here. And I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure it out, guys. Okay. I've got a lot going on. And that is unfortunately mid burner. I have front burner, mid burner, back burner, off the burner, in the cupboard, in the pantry, in the garage, and in my front yard. Th those are my stacks right now. So uh, stay tuned and stay with me. If you're live, love it. Thanks so much. I see 129, 131 of you. Here this morning, I'm glad you're spending your Monday morning with me. I can feel the energy. If you're watching on replay, my left coast people, west coast, Fiji, my Australian brethren, hashtag team replay in the comments. I do love seeing the team replay comments, and uh, I genuinely appreciate that. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I am a full stack person. Um, good to see you guys, Eric Gray. All right, let's, uh, let's roll into the story. I do try to keep it uh, pretty short on the front end so the jaw jacking can commence hardcore on the back end. But I'll see you guys at the mid-roll. Let's go ahead and jump into the top cyber news stories of the day. Sit back, relax, grab your coffee. I'm going to pour a cup. Grab your coffee. If it's the end of the day where you are, cozy up in your favorite Barker lounger. Pull that lever on the side. Kick it up. Kick those feet up. You've, you've had a hard day. Let's just do this. George Strasberger with a super chat. Adam Frank with a super chat. Excited to say I finally landed a dedicated cyber role starting this morning. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. All right. So that was your uh, uh, George Strasberger. Adam Frank gets this. What? Did we just become best friends? Yep. And then Adam Strasberger starting his new job this morning. I, I mean, Adam Frank starting his new job. Yes. All right. This is so cool. Nice job, man. Nice job. All right, all right, all right. I'm super pumped. Dude, nothing, nothing. I mean, there's a lot of things that make me happy. One of the things that make me really happy is when people break into cybersecurity. It's, dude, Adam, I know, and just like many of you, I know how hard you have worked and how hard you have grinded and the sacrifices you have made to, to achieve this. And I'm super pumped for you, man. Yeah, I got the new studio coming. New studio's coming. I got the contract. Apparently, I'm a general contractor now. Also, I, I discovered that uh, over the weekend. But we got we got that um, in the works. I could talk about that on the uh, mid-roll if you guys want to know. I mean, uh, on the jaw jacking segment. All right, guys, sit back, relax, and let's wash. Let's let's what? <laughs> let's listen to some news. Okay, thanks. From the CISO series, it's cybersecurity headlines. 
It's Monday, January 30th, 2023. Charter Communications says a vendor breach exposed some customer data. Telecommunications company Charter Communications said one of its third-party vendors suffered from a security breach after data from the company showed up on a hacking forum. On Thursday, a forum user posted information allegedly stolen from the company that included names, account numbers, addresses and more for about 550,000 customers. A spokesperson for Charter said, quote, At this time, we do not believe that any customer proprietary network information or customer financial data was included, end quote, but did not respond to follow-up questions about what third-party vendor was hacked, when the hack occurred, or when affected customers will be notified. All right, so... All right, a couple, couple things to point out here. One, um, this is a trend, okay? Uh, we saw this last week with um, who was the big? There was a big company last week that got hit, and it wasn't their fault. It was a third party. Do you guys remember? Can't remember. There was a big story. Um, pay- PayPal, maybe, maybe it was PayPal. Um, anyways, here's the deal. Charter Communications has Charter Communications data breached. They didn't do anything wrong. If anything, um, <laughs> like. They they have third party vendors, okay? And I know here's the thing. Okay, here let me let me roll back for a second. Okay. It was PayPal. Thanks, Andrew Nakamura. Yeah, check out the PayPal story last week if you want a, another example of what a, what this is and what I'm about to talk about. Um, Neil Bridges and I, uh, like two years ago on his stream, got into a little beef. It turned into like a meme um about third party risk management and how uh like I won't get into all that. And and Neil and I are friends, so it's not like there was some like kind of beef beef, but third-party risk. You're a business, you engage with another business. They have some service you want, right? They they do file hosting, right? Microsoft is a third-party business that many of us use for our email, for our file storage, etc. Um maybe there's an electronic medical record system. Most businesses are in the business of doing a business. I do live streams. I rely on Restream to help me deliver those streams. I rely on YouTube and Google to help deliver these streams, right? I'm not going to stand up my own streaming service, right? So these are third parties. So third-party interaction is common all the time. Now, when you, I don't put any sensitive information into Restream, okay? So, I'm, you know, like my concerns way less. But when you are larger, like Charter in this case, and you do use a third party, maybe, I bet you anything, the third party vendor had something to do with marketing, sales, customer engagement, some crap like that, all right? You give them all the information of all your, your customers and you sign a contract. Charter probably made them fill out a survey questionnaire, which is a big, big um hot topic in our industry about like how painful it is to fill out these questionnaires. If you've ever filled out one of these questionnaires, you know what I'm talking about. There's no standard. Some businesses ask for like 20 questions. Some businesses ask for 500. Some businesses won't move forward with you until you fill out the questionnaire, even though regardless of what you put in the questionnaire, they're going to move forward with you. It's it's a really hot mess of a situation right now in our industry. Believe that. That's like It's like a real thing going on right now that people are bitching about, okay? Because it's not really adding any value. Okay, so Charter likely did this with this third party. The third party gets breached. Now, Charter is the one who's going to have all the bad pub and all the ignorance. The people at Charter, I guarantee you, are pissed off right now at this third party. They're probably going to look at the contract to find ways to get out of that contract, possibly unless the third party has really good teeth 
for their vendor lock-in, right? We talk about vendor lock-in. This is why vendors want to do lock-in. So even when crap like this happens, you can't get out from, from uh, being bound to them. Bad pub for charter, third-party breach. Guys, all I can say is it's not easy. This is a GRC function, okay? And I don't go into this too much in my GRC course, although maybe I should create a, a, a second course or something. But there's a real piece of work here that has to happen that is not easy where you need to evaluate third parties, understand what your data is doing there, understand how they're handling your data, understand how to get the data out if you decide to break up with them, and that your business is willing to really be on board with your decision. So like you've got two, here's the, here's the, the simplest uh, uh, example, right? You've got, you've got two businesses, right? We're Charter Communication, me, you, and uh, AL, Joel Belton, and Omatola. Good to see you, Omatola. It's been a minute, right? And we look at one business that does like customer survey engagements, and they're $10,000 a year, and their security sucks. Then we look at another company. They're $20,000 a year, and their security's pretty good. Well, when we go to the business and say, hey, you know, we looked at these two and uh, this one's better because it's more secure. It costs a little bit more, but that's why it costs more because they're more secure. It is now a business decision. This is why the CISO does not own information security accountability. They own the responsibility. It's a main, it's a primary difference. The business decides, and unfortunately the CFO is often involved. And the CFO is like, Great cash, homie. it gives us the service we want at half the price. Let's go forward with that. And then you're basically riding naked uh, into the into the wind here, hoping hoping that no one you know peeks out the window at you. That that's what's happening here. And occasionally you get your hand stuck in the cookie jar or, or the mouse trap or whatever you want to say, and this crap happens. Okay, I'm not saying that's what happened in Charter, but what I'm saying is when you're doing third party risk, you should not even explore third party risk management unless the business is ready to make hard decisions associated with the outcomes and outputs of your third-party risk management. That's that's a fact. That's the TLDR on third-party risk. Do not even go down that path and waste your time if the business is just going to like yada yada your your out your findings, okay? Russia's sandworm hackers blamed in fresh Ukraine malware attack. Another destructive malware attack against Ukrainian targets last week has been attributed by researchers at ESET to <laughs> Sandworm, a group in the Russian... I I'm sorry, really quick. Avinash George says he starts working at Charter Spectrum tomorrow. Well, you can bring in the hot takes. In Intelligence Directorate, or GRU, who has been behind a series of destructive malware attacks and hack and leak campaigns over the years. This according to the US government and private researchers. Though ESET did not identify the victim of last week's attack, it said they, quote, focused on a specific target, end quote, in the public sector, deploying a new data wiping malware called Swift Slicer. What? Expert okay, okay. All right, here's the deal. A um, couple things. I think it's Andy Greenberg. Correct me if I'm wrong. Andy Greenberg is an author. He wrote Sandworm. He wrote Traces in the Dark. He'll probably write another book on this. Um, and it's all about this Russian APT, uh, Advanced Persistent Threat, basically. That is a, you know, there, there, there is close to a military-grade, military-focused cyber capability. Think of them as like the cyber A-team. 
if you will, okay? They get very specific targets and they do very specific um, objectives on those targets, okay? Or, or execute on those targets. Sandworm, Sandworm was basically not Petya. If you were like, Google it, you should definitely know what not Petya is, all right? Not Petya was a malware wiper that Russia deployed allegedly. Again, with these things, I think it's been proven, but I just say allegedly so I don't get sued or whatever. Um, Russia allegedly uh, launched NotPetya at Ukraine using a third-party service and accounting software to push an update. It was a wiper. Uh, NotPetya got out of containment, basically, and wiped a bunch of other businesses that had nothing to do with the Ukraine uh, conflict. Um, and it looks like they did it again. The weird thing for me, and by the way, they mentioned ESET being able to see it. ESET is like a... Um, ESET is a company that does security research and they see they see things, they publish things like the dirty pipe uh, story that Dragos had published. I think ESET uh, had did that as well around the same time. They're definitely worth following at ESET Research. The weird thing about this is they found another wiper, which is fine. Okay. This is on brand for the, the, the group that uh, deployed Sandworm. It's a wiper called Swift Slicer. It's written in Go, so it's really fast. The one thing that's confusing to me is ESET sees it, but they don't know who the target is. I don't understand how they saw it and, and they don't know who the target is, though. Like, I, I'm wondering if it got out of containment somehow. Um, you know, one thing that's on my, like, uh, long list, right, is uh, learning Golang. Uh, you guys don't need to be... Um, you don't need to be programmers to work in cybersecurity, but it does help if you understand how to read code at minimum. If you can hack together some code, that's better. Uh, Go and Rust are both uh, new languages, but new to me, because I haven't spent any time with them. But I'll tell you what, a lot of malware threat actors are using Go, uh, Golang, because it's so fast um, that it warrants being investigated. I would love to take like a Golang 101 and then maybe write like a few simple like hello world, you know, read file in, file out kind of thing of Golang. If anyone in chat has spent time in Golang, uh, can you drop a comment and let me know if it's like worth learning? At minimum, to look at malware is why I was thinking of it, right? So you could look at malware and, and be able to read it. I assume that it follows standard kind of software develop conventions with like uh, control loops and variable definitions and stuff like that. Anyways, long story short, this is just another, you know, brick in the wall of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. I will tell you that I'm kind of surprised. I thought that the winter was going to be, <clears throat> um, you know, hot with activity. It hasn't been as bad. So. It's planned to release VMware vRealize log RCE exploit this week. Researchers from the Horizon 3 attack team have announced the impending release of proof-of-concept exploit code for remote code execution in VMware vRealize Log. VMware ARIA Operations for Logs, formerly vRealize Log Insight, is a log collection and analytics virtual appliance that enables administrators to collect, view, manage, and analyze syslog data. Log Insight provides real-time monitoring of application logs, network traces and configuration files, messages and performance data. The availability of an exploit like the one announced by the Horizon 3 attack team is bad news for organizations, since a threat actor can develop its own version to gain initial access to target networks and perform a broad range of malicious activities. All right. Um... 
I'm just looking really quick. Um, all right. So a couple things here. One, I have never heard of Horizon 3 Attack Team, but they are blue checkmark, which I, I don't know if that means anything anymore in Twitter world since everybody can get one. But um, I am going to follow them effectively immediately. <laughs> um, I do like... So their, their attack team, obviously, stringing together multiple vulnerabilities to get uh, a full um, control unauthenticated attack, which is not good. They're releasing a POC exploit, which stands for proof of concept. Um, couple things. One, it looks like Horizon 3 attack team has done responsible disclosure. Responsible disclosure is where you reach out to the vendor discreetly or privately, sometimes through a bug bounty program, and you tell them, hey, we've discovered a flaw or series of flaws. We can we demonstrate it to you and we explain what the issue is at the root. Then the vendor has 30 days, 60 days, whatever it is, um, to correct it. And then the security researcher, you know, the, the idea is that the researcher gives the vendor that 30-day period or whatever to fix it and roll out patches and all that stuff. Because it does take time to fix it. You don't just go in and like flip a switch and be like, oh, it's fixed, right? So they've done that. VMware has released the patches, it seems, and these guys are going to publish the POC exploit. What does this mean in the big picture and what does it mean to you? A couple things. One, if you're, where, if you're running VMware vRealize, if you're running VMware vRealize, you should be mindful of this and, and be your finger on the pulse of when these patches come out. Now, VMware is a much more of like an infrastructure thing, so it'll be a little easier to patch because you'll have less VMware you know, systems running around, but you don't just willy nilly update a VMware. Like you want to make sure it doesn't impact business operations. You want to schedule downtimes. Um, that's best practice from a uh, vulnerability management program and IT people do it that way too. So just be mindful of that. You will want to do it though, because as it says, when you release a POC exploit, that means that it lowers the barrier for entry for attack attackers, right? So say you're like somewhat skilled, but you can't write the exploit or you don't know. You can download this exploit to get you started, right? Uh, typically when a POC drops, uh, actual exploits drop like within a few days after that. People will start publishing them to their GitHub uh, and stuff like that. Also, you can combine the exploit if you're really savvy. You can combine, you can combine the POC exploit with the contents of the actual patches to really zero in and exactly what's the problem. Because remember guys, all a patch is, a patch is what it says it is. It fixes the problem that was the vulnerability. So if you have an exploit that, expo that exploits the vulnerability and you have a patch that tells you where the vulnerability is with a little bit of knowledge, you can like look at both of those and pretty much pinpoint exactly what the problem is. So if people aren't patching, then it, you know, it, could, it could get ugly. This, just as an example, this happened with WannaCry. Microsoft, like eternal, the story gets long, right? So uh, the Vault 7 leaks, NSA tools drop, eternal blue is like a turnkey solution to blast through SMB shares. That happened in January. Microsoft patches, tells everybody this is urgent, 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 urgent. Some people patch, WannaCry drops on the scene using eternal, ble eternal blue as an initial uh, infection or exploit vector in March of 2020, 20, March of 2020, was it March of 20? No, 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 it was 2017. 
Yeah, so March of 2017. And then, you know, the, the world caught fire. So just even with the patches out there, people don't always do it. You got to be mindful of that. This is important, guys, okay? This is this isn't important today, but like very soon it will be as those exploits uh, get more and more uh, from proof of concept to full full tilt mainstream usable. Massive Microsoft 365 outage caused by one router IP change. Microsoft says last week's five-hour-long Microsoft 365 worldwide outage was caused by a router IP address change that led to packet forwarding issues between all other routers in its wide area network. The issue led to service impact in waves peaking approximately every 30 minutes as shared on the Microsoft Azure service status page. In all, it took Redmond over five hours to address the issue. Microsoft has now also revealed that the issue was triggered when changing the IP address of a WAN router using a command that had not been thoroughly vetted and that has different behaviors on different network services. All right. <laughs> you know what happened here? All right, guys. Even the best of us uh, make mistakes, make issues, make errors. Um, Basically, last week, it, and a lot of we reported on this on Friday. If you were at the Daily Threat Briefing Friday, and I said, like, you know, you got to be mindful to have contingency plans for your business if you're relying on any tech stack. Like, for example, I do this through Restream, but if we have an issue like we did a couple of weeks ago with Evan Ottinger, I can flip over to StreamYard. It's it's not one for one, right? You get like a sixty percent quality of what you normally do. And a lot of people didn't find us over on StreamYard and stuff like that, but at least we had a contingency plan. We didn't have to have a catastrophic failure. You know, this this situation with Microsoft, um, we see this from time to time, right? Facebook did a BGP update a couple uh, years ago and brought Facebook and part of the internet offline. Essentially, guys, and and, and uh, BSEC definitely knows this, my other, um, my other uh, network engineer people in, in the world know this, right? Oh, many of us know this, okay? All the internet is, all the internet is, is a network of networks, right? There's no grand, it's not like the big daddy network. It's not like a, a giant network, you know, lumbering around like it's north of the wall in Game of Thrones. All the internet is, is an amalgamation of a network of networks, okay? So when you break part of the interconnection of networks of networks, bad things happen. Things fall offline. Ne IP traffic just traverses networking. That's what routing is. Routing is moving packets through a network. When you're routing a network of networks, that's fine. But when you have a break in a critical piece like the WAN router, you, you, the traffic cannot traverse to where it needs to go or it gets sinkholed or a million other things, right? Networks are supposed to be resilient. Routing protocols are supposed to be able to auto-correct themselves and be resilient. But sometimes crap happens. Sometimes backbone things break. That's what happened here. I assure you, I assure you, when this thing happened, it took them 15 minutes to find out. It was red alert, everybody on, uh, on deck. Then it took them probably 45 minutes to figure out what the heck happened because, you know, they're everywhere. Uh, some engineer made the change. And they were using a tool that hadn't been vetted for what they were doing it. So they're like, oh, this, you know, this is a wrench and this is a screwdriver. Well, actually, no, this is a wrench. This is a hammer. I don't really have a hammer right now. And I just got to bang this nail in a little bit. I can use the wrench like ding, 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 ding. 
no problem, right? I win. Everybody's everybody's loving life. But the problem is, um, when you use the wrench, it it it, it breaks the uh, the WAN router configurations. All right. Uh, and then it took him a few hours. And 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 then the final thing I'll say is, with something like this, you've got to be mindful, guys. Once they corrected the the problem, like once the change was fixed, because of the way networking works, it needed to propagate through the internet. So that probably took another you know 45 minutes to an hour it's not like the internet doesn't just change on the flip of a switch guys it, it has to propagate dns has to be updated um asns and ip routes and and, and and prioritization of like what's the best route and all these other things that has to trickle down so <laughs> uh, anyways yeah i just i don't know why eric silverman how do you know i'm not married to a border gateway router it's, it's really funny um that's so funny. Border gateway protocol rules everything around me. Cream. Get the routers. Dollar dollar bill, y'all. All right, let's do the mid-roll. And now a word from our sponsor, Hunters. Hunters is a SOC platform built for your security team. Hunters empowers companies to move beyond SIM with unlimited ingestion and normalization of security data at a predictable cost. Using Hunters, a CISO at a leading online retailer tripled the amount of data ingested by her security team while cutting costs from a legacy SIM provider by 75%. To learn more, visit Hunters.ai. That's H-U-N-T-E-R-S dot A-I. All right, guys, we're at the mid-roll. Hope you're getting value. If you're new here, every day at the, well, every threat briefing at the mid-roll, we play some simple minds. I take a hot minute talk to you for a second then we get back into the news if you're getting entertainment value out of the stream if you're getting educational value out of the stream if you're enjoying the networking of the community do me a favor please take a second hit the like button it really makes a difference it means a lot to me not just for the stats i don't care about like i'm not flexing when you hit the like button and we hit some arbitrary threshold that youtube has decided it will push this briefing to other people who are searching for cybersecurity stuff on YouTube. That's how we grow the community. That's how we find each other. That's how we help other people. So please take a minute and hit that like button. Goes a long way. Doesn't take a lot of effort or energy. Cost you nothing. I want to thank Barricade Cyber Solutions and Recon InfoSec for their support. Recon InfoSec will be rolling off as a sponsor starting on... Um, Tomorrow's their last day. I've enjoyed working with them. I, I will continue to work with them. They just won't be a sponsor anymore. But we've got some new sponsors coming in, guys. A lot of people are uh, banging the drum wanting to be, be a sponsor. So appreciate that. Thank all of you for sharing with your network um, the Simply Cyber Daily Cyber Threat Briefing. I'm very proud of it. And I, I just uh, I love the, the service of it. I love the community service of it. If you got the newsletter this morning, which I sent at 6 a.m. this morning, you know that I sent an email with three pieces of actionable intel in it. Get the newsletter, simplycyber.io slash newsletter, exclamation point newsletter in chat if you want the link directly. Sign up. If you don't like it, unsubscribe. And I'm not even going to ruin the surprise. If you got today's newsletter, you know about a secret... Um, speaking engagement that I committed to last week. It was in the bonus section of the newsletter. I added a, a bonus section, one cool thing where I kind of do whatever I want. 
So check out the newsletter, find out about the secret speaking engagement that I signed up for. The, the speaking engagement is March 1st. Adam Frank says he had to resub. Yeah, absolutely. Guys, pro, pro tip. When you sign up for anything that's like yours, not your business, sign up with a personal email or whatever. That way when you leave, uh, you don't you don't lose access, guys. So I, do you know how many times I've seen people sign up for their Netflix account with a work email, and then when they switch jobs, they're like, I can't access my Netflix. It's like, dude, what do you want? Like, I'm... Sorry, not my problem. All right. Love it, love it, love it. Thanks so much, everybody. Let's go ahead and slide over to the news. I'll see you in the jawjacking section. GootKit malware continues to evolve with new components and obfuscations. The threat actors associated with the GootKit malware have made notable changes to their toolset, adding new components and obfuscations to their infection chains. Google-owned Mandiant is monitoring the activity cluster under the moniker UNC2565, noting that the usage of the malware is exclusive to this group. GootKit, also called GootLoader, is spread through compromised websites that victims are tricked into visiting when searching for business-related documents like agreements and contracts via SEO poisoning. The purported documents take the form of zip archives that harbor the JavaScript malware, which, when launched, pave the way for additional payloads such as Cobalt Strike Beacon, Phone Launch, and Snow Cone. All right. Federal. So, all right, so... <clears throat> This goot kit thing, be mindful of it. I, I, guys, I do love a good process flow diagram. This one's a little excessive because it's just a straight flow. But anyways, um, is this just the same picture twice? Oh, no, no, no. This one's got, the other one's got a little bit more information. In it. Okay, so guys, here's, here's what you need to know, okay? <clears throat> this goot loader malware run by a threat actor. Um, it says notable changes. All they've done is updated to be a little bit more effective, a little bit more useful. <clears throat> the idea is that they use SEO, search engine optimization, around business-related documents and agreements, okay? So this is actually valid. This is a really good, um, this might even be um, the story for the end users next week. Now, you don't need to tell your end users goot kit malware because they'll get all tripped up and mucked up on that fact. What you do need to say is, listen, we, we, you know, hopefully you've already informed your end users about how people buy Google ads and put their malware at the top of the Google research, search results. But <clears throat> basically, threat actors are putting fake documents. And I, I've actually seen this firsthand. And when I when I saw like when I had my end user walk me through what they did, I was stunned at how obvious, <laughs> how obvious it was a malware landing page. But but you know, you know, business people like click 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 click. click. All right, so here's the deal: if your end users, your business, they're searching for like compliance checklist or contract agreement or third party risk questionnaire, what whatever it is, HR employment form, acceptable use policy, right? Everybody search like when you have a new task, a new job, a new a uh, new thing, where you have to develop something. One of the first things you do is go, like let's be honest with each other, okay? First thing you do is go to Google and you look to see if you can find a template, right? Threat actors know this. 
They've created these fake websites that look horrible, but they'll have a PDF there or a zip file. And they'll say, here is your insert, whatever you just asked for. Here is your compliance checklist. Here is your you know, AFCA compliance checklist. Here's your ISO 27001 checklist, whatever it is, okay? So you, you click on it, you download it, you're like, yes! Like, here's the answer to all my dreams. I got assigned this task on Monday and I already found a, a whole template already built out. I'm gonna, I'm gonna coast Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then fill out this template on Friday, give it to my boss, make it look like I worked my butt off all week. And instead I was chilling, high fives, tacos, long lunches, leaving early, still winning. The problem is when they unpack the zip, there's there's JavaScript malware in there, which by the way, I'm sure it says it in here. It's not like you're double clicking a, a JavaScript file. Right when you open the zip archive, the file would be, I guess the file would be just sitting there and you double click that. It probably says compliant checklist.pdf.js, right? Once you load the JavaScript, that's executing code on your machine. It's gonna go ahead and start calling um, WScript in this case or PowerShell, whatever it is, and start reaching out. This is initial, this is another typical thing that you guys should be mindful of as far as the way malware actually works in, in like commercial grade, professional malware the initial javascript thing it's just a an infection what it's going to do is establish a little bit of a persistence mechanism and it's going to reach out to the c2 server the command and control server that is the brain behind this malware campaign and pull down additional payloads okay you can see here um right here in this bottom one it it pulls um it reaches out to a c2 domain it says it's got three three C2 domains, uh, that's just for resiliency. Then it'll pull down an ex a PowerShell called phone launch, execute that, then it creates a scheduled task for persistence. So if you reboot the machine, don't worry, when the scheduled task fires, it'll reload the malware. And then, it, then it, you know, whatever, whatever it wants after that. At that point, it owns your endpoint and it can do whatever it wants, right? It can, it can pull down information stealers, it can sell uh, initial access uh, on initial access broker um, forums and stuff like that. Just be mindful of it, okay? There is tons of indicators of compromise. You could see here, um, it looks like, you know, these phone launch things. I don't know if these file names would actually show up. I think really the key takeaway here is if you can find these indicators of compromise, like these three hard-coded C2 domains, look for that in your SIM. Also, they have uh, um, this hard-coded log file that gets created. Look for that. Educate your end users not to download random zips. Show them what's up. Dude, I'm telling you guys, like the, the, like, the one particular user that I'm thinking of, I, his, his machine got popped, right? Like my, my dashboards blew up and I'm like, oh my God. Like, so I call this guy and I'm like, hey, like what, what, do you, what did you just do? Like what'd you do in the last 10 minutes? Because you are, I'm quarantining your machine, first of all. Like, so I, I, cut, I cut the arms and legs off his machine. So that wasn't going anywhere. I'm like, what did you do, man? Tell me what you did. He's like, oh, I just, I downloaded a checklist. And I'm like, show me, show me, like show me where you went, okay? And he like showed me and dude, it was like, literally, this, just to put in perspective, right? Like how unsophisticated a threat actor can be and still be successful. He typed in like whatever checklist, 
And then like the third link down clicked it and it goes and it was just like a, a beige page, like Netflix thumbnails, like, you know, like like the Lorax and, you know, uh, Queen's Gambit or whatever. Those thumbnails were at the top and at the bottom. And just in the middle of the page was a large graphic with a PDF logo and the exact search term that he had dot PDF. And I, I was like, this is this is what you downloaded? He's like, yeah, yeah, it's a checklist. I'm like, okay, all right, okay. Consider consider myself educated. I did not realize that this would work. So, so don't assume that it's like you know Mission Impossible Five up in here with like really sick looking fake websites. It could be. Dude, it could have been the Apache default web server page. Congratulations, you installed an Apache. Also, download this uh, app. Uh, get, check out this like uh, ISO twenty seven thousand one checklist. Like, like it could be that. Reserve rejects crypto focused banks application. The U.S. Federal Reserve on Friday rejected crypto-focused Custodia Bank's application to become a member of the Federal Reserve System, saying the bank's proposed business model and focus on digital assets presented significant safety and soundness risks. Custodia, which is based in Wyoming and is chartered through the state as a special purpose depository institution, lacked a sufficient risk management framework to address the heightened risks associated with crypto, the Fed said, including crypto's potential use in money laundering and terrorist financing activities. Custodia Bank Chief Executive Caitlin Long said in a statement that the bank was, quote, surprised and disappointed, end quote, by the Fed's decision. She continued, quote, Custodia actively sought federal regulation going above and beyond all requirements that apply to traditional banks, end quote. All right. All right. So a couple, couple things here. I'm a crypto evangelist. I love it. Love it. Love it. All right. So Finfrock getting his, uh, his reps. Um, dude, I, I love this. Okay. So here's the thing. U.S. Federal Reserve would give some legitimacy to a, a, a bank, right? Um, whether it's a crypto bank, whether it's a, you know, monopoly money bank, whatever. Like if you're part of the Federal Reserve System, it's obviously legit. And obviously these people want to be part of it. Now, I don't know if that comes with certain levels of uh, scrutiny and, you know, investigation and compliance and uh, third party audits and, you know, independent of validation and all that. You would, you would hope it would. I find it interesting that U.S. Federal Reserve said no. Now, this doesn't mean that U.S. Federal Reserve is like F no to all the cryptos, okay? It just means that their business model and probably more likely their controls that they have, and, and I'm speculating here, so you know, tinfoil hat me if you want, the controls that they have to know your investor, to validate that the uh, individuals using the bank are in fact the individuals that they say they are, that the money is not ill-gotten gains, that it's not illicit funds for money laundering and, and, and that type of thing. Um, you know, Wyoming, Cowboy Mafia is out there, aren't they, right? Isn't Yellowstone out there, out of Wyoming? You know, I don't know if they're running crypto shenanigans or not. But the thing is, the Federal Reserve is uh, taking a position here and saying no. So I find that interesting. It sounds like this company, Custody, is actually suing the Federal Reserve of Kansas City. We'll see what, what, what comes of that. But uh, this just further demonstrates the fall from grace that crypto has had uh, during this crypto winter thing. 
Um, it's been a little quiet the last couple of weeks after the uh, fallout of FTX, but not surprised here, okay? So this is not a infosec story, but it is interesting. At GPT is now finding and fixing bugs in code. Researchers from Johannes Gutenberg University and University College London have found that ChatGPT can weed out errors with sample code and fix it better than existing programs designed to do the same. They gave 40 pieces of buggy code to four different code-fixing systems. Essentially, they asked ChatGPT, quote, what's wrong with this code, end quote, and then copy and pasted it into the chat function. On the first pass, ChatGPT performed about as well as the other systems, solving 19 out of the 40 problems. They discovered that the ability to chat with ChatGPT after receiving the initial answer made the difference, ultimately leading to ChatGPT solving 31 questions and easily outperforming the others, which provided more static answers. Last. All right. Well, I'm glad that right out the gate, we're able to use the new ChatGPT emote. Squad members, if you don't know, if you weren't here on Friday... We did a uh, a patch. <laughs> we we did a patch in place where we patched one of the hacker man emotes with a Hal um, a Hal emote. So that's the official ChatGPT emote now. So feel free to play with that. I do enjoy that. I got to tell you, like all those Hal eyes staring at me right now is a little unsettling. Um, all right, so guys, you know ChatGPT. It 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 it's the desert eagle of the digital age, right? It, it 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 can be used for massive harm and weapon um, for for you know criminal intent, but also can be used for really really awesome stuff. Okay, in this case, fixing software bugs. Software bugs are typically performance issues, also security vulnerabilities, right? So if ChatGPT can be used to quickly repair and identify bugs and you know help make more secure code. Then let's let's go LFG. You know, developers don't enjoy themselves. Um, you know, QCing uh, code or testing code. Uh, again, I want to point out ChatGPT is excellent as an assistant. You, it doesn't replace people. Are like, oh my God, that's the end of me. My job is over. Like, it doesn't replace you in that way for knowledge workers. Okay, like artists. I'm sorry, artists are. Uh, uh, they're in trouble, but but knowledge workers like so software developers or QC testers, they can use ChatGPT. But Chat could introduce new problems right into the software, so you've got to be mindful of that. Also, you got to remember, guys, ChatGPT is a AI built off a model. If you can poison the model, you could actually have ChatGPT write back doors into software, right? So you've got to be careful with you know just you know letting chat you know jesus or chat gpt take the wheel okay you got to be careful with that i think it's more like letting chat gpt sit on your lap and work the steering wheel steering wheel while you do the pedals okay that's what we're doing here week in ransomware the fbi's announcement of the disruption of the hive ransomware operation dominated ransomware news last week since its launch in june 2021 hive quickly became one of the most active and prominent ransomware operations <laughs> The FBI and its partners disclosed that they had secretly hacked the organization's servers in July 2022, monitored their communications, intercepted decryption keys, and helped victims with free decryptors. 
Bleeping Computer also reported last week on Google advertisements being abused by ransomware access brokers who had previously partnered with the Royal Ransomware Gang, using the ads for access to corporate networks. This incident serves as a reminder to always click on legitimate links in search results for software developers rather than using the links inside Google Ads. Last week, we also reported on Riot Games refusing to pay ransom for stolen source code and Play Ransomware hitting a large UK car dealer. All right, everybody. You know, these these ransomware roundups are interesting, but, you know, all I would say is, you know, be mindful. Like every Monday, or basically every Monday, CISO Series does do this last week in ransomware. It's worth it's worth um, skimming over this and just updating. If you keep track of um, if you keep track of ransomware incidents that might have some relevance to your organization, just so you can have a nice timeline or so you can quickly dip in. If you're making a slide for you know a tabletop exercise or for a quarterly board meeting or whatever, um, it's very very useful. If you are staying up to date on what the heck is going on, then this is just a digest of what we already talked about. We talked already last week about Hive Ransomware Takedown. We did that on Friday. We talked about um, uh, the Google ad, adver, advertisement poisoning on Tuesday. We talked about Royal Ransomware um, on Monday. So this is not, it's just a rehash, right? If you guys take, hey, you know what? If you take a week off, my wife and I are actually talking about taking a, a little vacation here. If you took a week off, this is a great way to like resync back into what the heck is going on, right? So like you're constantly in the double dutch jump rope thing. And uh, if you're in there, you're up to date on everything all the time. So this isn't really huge value. But if you jump out to go get a sip of water to actually, you know, relax and decompress, disconnect for a minute. These weekly ransomware things are an awesome awesome digest to like re-engage wicked fast and be able to take take out take it off yeah i need a week off too justin <laughs> believe that i just got to get my front burner my mid burner my back burner my pantry my top shelf my front yard um burners uh sorted out but somehow i i yeah and then i signed up for a speaking engagement all right guys so that's going to do it for today's stream we ran a couple minutes over sorry to ncc group and base case i do you know, I do try to hit 45 minutes for that crew uh, over there, but we did what we did. I'm going to go ahead and do a couple minutes of jaw jacking. Um, I want to thank all of you. Thank all of you for being here today. Genuinely appreciate it. If you were here just for the news, peace out. We'll be back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern time. 10 a.m. Eastern time uh, because I teach um, at the Citadel uh, Military College on Tuesday and Thursday mornings at 8 a.m. But tomorrow, we'll be at 10 a.m. Come check it out. Looking at chat now. Oh, my pleasure, Jide. InfoSec kid. Am I going to have a class on anti-siphon? Not as of right now. So, um, here, you know what? There we go. I'm going to be speaking, and this you might think that this isn't even like apply to me, but uh, I'm going to be speaking at the Anti-Siphon Hackdown, the most offensive con that ever offensived, okay? I love myself some uh, 
anti-siphon and Black Hills information security, like really, really, really like working with those people. And uh, even though I'm not a pen tester, nor am I, you know, operating in that space, um, I asked them, um, you know, if I could help, if I could support, if I could sponsor. Um, and they, they said they were good with that, but they, they said, hey, do you want to talk? And I said, okay, let, let me think. Well, I'm not a red teamer, so what, what value could I bring? And then I said, oh, you know what? You know what I could do? I reached out to my buddy, Paul Imey. Okay, so check this out. This is a company called Ceteria. Wonderful company. Love these guys. Okay. Paul Imey is the uh, co-founder of Ceteria. He, you know, former NSA guy, really smart guy, very kind, very nice. Uh, he doesn't do red team operations anymore, but that's where he cut his teeth. And uh, I reached out to him because we're friends. And I said, hey, man. What do you think about like doing a fireside chat thing with me at this anti-siphon summit thing where basically uh, the title of the talk is going to be um, everything you didn't know, everything you didn't know you needed to know about engage, uh, pen test engagements from a CISO perspective and an in, a red team operator perspective. So here's the, here's the gist of that talk if you're interested. Yeah, I'm not a red team operator, guys, but... If, if you don't know, like red team operations, they're cool. Pen test engagements are cool, but there's a lot of reason to do them. Sometimes CISOs hire a pen testing engagement just for compliance purposes. They don't care about what you're doing. Sometimes they hire you because they need you to reinforce what they have been saying for some time. It's not just about getting the crown jewels. It's not just about getting the gold and high-fiving yourself and feeling better. It's not about destroying the blue team. There's a lot of motivations. There's a lot of incentive. There's a lot of financial elements to it, right? A lot of times pen testing engagements are an initial foothold to use the parlance of the terms. Red uh, pen testing engagements are an initial foothold to actually get more services. So sometimes you'd actually price pen testing services down. Like, norm like let's say normally you charge 20 grand for a pen test. You might say to a business that's a new client, hey, listen, we'll do a pen test for 10 grand. Cheapest, cheapest pen test you're going to find in the market. And the reason is because now you can establish uh, your professionalism, your quality of service, your engagement. It's like a lead magnet effectively. And then you can follow up with, hey, we can help you uh, remediate a lot of these things. Like, why don't we set up for quarterly pen testing? We'll give you a discount on a, on a subscription plan. Like, there's a ton of things about Red Team and in, in professional pen testing that is not just launching Metasploit at a web app. Like, th there's so much to it. So that's what that's what this talk's going to be. And I think it's going to be wicked awesome. All right, everybody. I, I didn't even... I, I, I didn't even look at uh, the, the chat, so I don't even know if you guys are interested in that talk or not, but I'm pretty excited about it. All right, I'm just reading the uh, chat here. All right. That's going to be it for the day. Guys, thank you all so very much for your time, for your effort, for your energy. Share the daily cyber threat briefing with other people in your network. I would genuinely appreciate that. It would uh, it would go a long way. Take care, guys. Oh, wait. Um, hold on. Uh, just so you guys know, Jenny Housley. Jenny Housley, uh, later today, I'll be playing World of Haiku. So if you guys want to come hang out and play. Uh, I'll be doing a live uh, World of Haiku stream. There's new content that's dropped into the World of Haiku that we'll be playing today. So that'll be a good time. Come check it out. 
Uh, also Thursday, Kimberly, I do have a live stream guest this Thursday. I think it's Bryson Bort, honestly, which is a major, <laughs> a major interview. Um, I just got my head up my own butt right now, so I, I haven't been able to uh, have everything organized. I'm looking right now. Oh, actually, no, 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 no. I don't have a stream this week. It's my wife's, my wife's, a, a, a major milestone for a uh, birthday for my wife, and uh, I've got a lot going. I've got a lot going on. All right, guys. So no stream. Bryson Bort will be February 9th, which is going to be super sick. Guys, be good. Have fun. Go crush it out there today, and we'll meet back tomorrow at 10 a.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for your time. <laughs> be good, and until next time, stay secure. Still trying to force that in. <laughs>